Well, good afternoon. It is good to be with you once again and to worship our God with you as we have this morning, as we continue to do this afternoon. I made mention this morning that we are at the very end of the year, and because we're at the very end of the year, mentally it causes us to really be in a good place for a couple of different things, whether that is looking back at where we have been and what has happened or looking forward at what will be versus, you know, and backwards in 2022, forwards in 2023. And so mentally, we're usually pretty engaged at this time of the year to be thinking about some of those things. And so this morning, we spent some time establishing some perspective to making sure that the way that we're looking specifically and thinking about God, that our perspective is where it needs to be that we have a good understanding about what our dependence upon him really is all about, that he is the very sustainer of life, that he is the, the giver of life, and that because of those two realities, our dependence upon him should be then absolute. And, and so when we begin to think about that level of perspective and the impact that it can have, This afternoon, I want us to think about looking forward a little bit, and it's always good to do that. It's good to do that individually. We often do that at this time of the year, and we may be thinking about resolutions or goals that we set for ourselves or that we set for our families. All of those things are good, and we need to be thinking that way. But for a few minutes tonight, I want us to be thinking about looking forward, not individually or not as a physical family, but as a spiritual family, looking forward as a church. What are some of the things that we need to be thinking about? What are some of the things that we need to be focusing on? Uh, Maybe a better word, what are some of the things that we need to be making our priority? Because when we open up God's Word and we begin to study some truths pertaining to his church, there are some absolutes that we simply cannot afford to lose sight of. And there are a few of those absolutes that I want us to talk about tonight. Luckily for us, they are all contained in one verse. We think about who we are and what we are, and we call ourselves the Lord's church. If we are able and we continue to do that, we have to, we have to follow the example that is given to us in God's word. If we step outside of that, if we step outside of God's word, and if we step out of his boundary, pertaining to his church, or we step outside of the direction that he has laid for his church, we no longer are the Lord's church. Now, we may call ourselves that. We may think that we are. But if we are allowing and in any way allow ourselves to step outside of that, then we're no longer Lord's church. That's kind of a shocking thing to say or to think about, and it would be very easy for us here to say, well, that, that would never happen, right? That would, that would never happen. That would never occur. That would never take place in a, in a place like this, and the strength that we have and the maturity that we have and the leadership that we have, that would never happen. 
there has probably been many, many, many groups before who thought that very same thing and found themselves stepping way outside of what the Lord has in store for them. So to make sure that doesn't happen, we've got to stay focused on it. We've got to make sure our priorities as a church lines up with what we see in God's Word. We'll call them foundational things for each and every church that are Christ's. And to help us do that, we're going to take a look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, specifically verse 42. When we think about the early church and the picture in the book of Acts that's given to us is the picture of, of the very beginning of the Lord's church. Tim alluded to it in his call to worship. The importance of that moment, of that time, as people were being baptized into Christ, and as we learn in this context, were then added to the Lord's church. And so there in this place, in Jerusalem specifically, thousands upon thousands of people were now together being baptized into the Lord's church. And there are so many fundamental things that we can learn about the Lord's church from this passage. So many different things that are here, and we're going to contain a few of those, for simplicity's sake, in one verse. We'll give ourselves something to think about as we are looking forward into the next year. And so you have in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 2, after Peter has delivered his lesson, he has, uh, I mean, hit in the face the Jews who are there specifically about Christ, who he was, what has happened to him. They're cut to the heart. They ask the question, what then can they do about that? Well, what, what, what can we do? We have, we have crucified the Messiah. What then can we do? And Peter answered there in verse 38, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we know that is what took place and thousands of people were baptized. And now you have the Lord's church begun. In the early part of the book of Acts, it explodes, and it thrives, and it is something to be looked at and something to be studied, because there are so many answers given to why that happened. And one of those things is given to us here in Acts chapter 2, in verse 42. Beginning in verse 40, to establish a little bit more context, it says this, that many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. And then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And now verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. So there are a few things I want to point out. We're going to start a little bit with the outset of what their attitude was. And if you were able to be with us last Sunday morning, we talked at length about this attitude, this idea, this word. We talked about then the idea of diligence and the word that I really like that leaned on, if you remember in that lesson, being earnest. What a powerful word that is. It is an attitude. It is an attitude of urgency. It is an attitude that we see in other translations, specifically the idea of diligence, 
where the translator gives us the phrase, making every effort. And a word like that pops up here. They continued steadfastly. They devoted themselves to. That may be what the Bible you have in your lap says. They devoted themselves to this. They were steadfast in the way that they approached these kinds of things. And what were they steadfast in? The Lord's church at this point, what were they steadfast in? What this verse gives us is four absolutes for the Lord's church. That for us, as we look to grow, as we look to thrive, as we look to be effective workers in the Lord's kingdom and in this community, they need to be absolutes for us as well. So the first one is this. They were steadfast in the apostles' doctrine or in the apostles' teaching. Now, for sure, the gospel story of Jesus is included in this. Uh, That's the backbone of everything that Peter had to say here in Acts chapter 2. It absolutely is that. But the teaching that we see in God's Word, the book that provides everything that we need and everything that is necessary, has to absolutely be the focus of the Lord's church. We're familiar with passages like this in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. There's the word we just used for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Here's the important part, verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, the point that's being made here by Paul as he writes this letter to Timothy is that God's word, God's word, it is from him. And so he knows, he knows what we need. He knows what he wants. And so he has delivered that to us. And so what we have in this book is everything we need to please him. We don't need anything else. There's nothing additional to this that we need to please Him. There's nothing less than this to be pleasing to Him. This is what is needed, and it must be followed absolutely. Now, for sure, it has to be our focus as individuals. If you're thinking about yourself a little bit, and that's okay to do tonight, you're thinking about yourself and your perspective, if you will, moving forward, The Lord's Word, God's Word, the Bible, has to be your focus as an individual. As a family, it has to be your focus as a family. But for us, we have to have it as the focus of this church. Not a part of the church, not a piece of the focus, not one of the priorities or one of the things, but the thing. And it has to be that. So what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, let's break that down a little bit. And we'll start at the very top. For the elders that are here, I know we have a couple of them here, for Tim and for Keith and for Kevin, God's word has to drive the decisions that you make for this church. Absolutely, there's judgments that need to be made and discussions between the three of you that have to take place. But what drives those decisions has to be God's Word. 
Now, I know those men, and I've been in enough of their meetings to know that currently that's what takes place. They are driven by God's word, and they think that it should remain that. But we have to be steadfast into making sure that remains the case. That for those men, that you don't allow your own thoughts or opinions or own will, if you will, to enter in and override something that God has said in his word. Our elders have to be driven by God's word. For John and I as evangelists, the ones that predominantly stand here and and, and provide lessons and sermons, our focus has to be God's word. It must be. I know there's a great temptation, and we see it in the world around us, a great temptation for preachers and for evangelists to step outside of God's word and to preach a pop culture or to preach what's popular in the news or what's preaching what people think they need or what we think they need or want. John and I talk all the time about the importance of making sure God's word is the focus. And we will continue to do that because it is that important. To our Bible class teachers, our Bible class teachers, from the youngest of you, not, well, the youngest of the ones that you teach, I guess the youngest of you as well, but the ones who teach the youngest up into the adult teachers, God's word has to be the focus of your class. It has to be. Yes, we have classes that are built specifically around God's word. We have classes that are built on various topics contained in God's Word. And God's Word has to be the focus of your lesson. It is not appropriate to teach a Bible class without the Bible being open. It has to be the focus. And so whether it is you are leading singing and you are being driven by attitudes that we see or you're at the Lord's table and you're driven by those kinds of things, we have to make sure that God's word is the focus. Secondly, not just being steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, but also steadfast in fellowship. If you look up that word, fellowship, here it means uh, two things, both of them I like, joint participation I like. The second definition I like maybe even a little bit better because we can understand it a little bit more. But it is sharing something in common. That's what I love about the word fellowship. Sharing something in common. It, it, It paints the picture of being unified. Being partners. We are a team. We should be together in all things. That should be the attitude that we have. It's the picture that we get in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when Paul uses the analogy of the Lord's church and the physical body. That's why that analogy is so good because we all can understand it because we're all standing here with bodies, right? Or you're sitting there. We've got a body with heads and hands and fingers and toes. 
Now, we understand that those things are different, but they are unified, and they are together, and they are working together, and they are sharing in something that's common. In the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in that context of that discussion, there's an interesting point that's made that really showcases then what that looks like. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning of verse 12, just 12 and 13, he says, as the body, for as the body is one, but as many members, but all the members of that one body, there it is again, being many are one body, so also is Christ. Did you notice that? Three times just in that one verse. The reminder that, yeah, there are many, but it is one body. Reiterate, verse 13, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or frees, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. We often reference Ephesians chapter 4 as the one passage, but there's an awful lot of ones right here in 1 Corinthians 12. A whole bunch of ones given to us right here. It is that attitude. But again, what does that look like? You can look even in the context that we have of the screen. In Acts chapter 2, at the very outset of this, think about the picture that is given to us in the very next few verses. We've been studying and reading from Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, but look at verses 44 and 45 and the point that Luke makes. He says this about the Lord's church. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. And that's the perfect definition of fellowship. Acts chapter 2 and verse 44. All who believed were together and had all things in common. That has to be the focus of the Lord's church here. Unity. Now notice I didn't say compromise. We're not apt to compromise, but it is unity because we are in this together. We are in this together, and it has to be the focus. It is an absolute of the Lord's church. Thirdly, steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, steadfast in fellowship, steadfast in the breaking of bread. Now, our mind quickly goes to something like the Lord's Supper that we share every first day of the week. In passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that that helps our mind a little bit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 16, again, you have the Apostle Paul, and he'll throw a a passage like this uh, about communion. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? This idea of sharing a meal like the Lord's Supper, or sharing any meal for that matter, it really is one of the most intimate forms of fellowship. We understand that, the closeness that that brings, that this level of unity, this level of fellowship is to be personal. It is to be intimate. Those aren't just good ideas. Those aren't just fit for those with type A personalities. But it is an absolute for the Lord's church. It is an absolute for that. 
And so you have all of this building up, being steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, being steadfast in fellowship, steadfast in the breaking of bread, and then finally being steadfast in prayer. There's incredible power found in prayer. Incredible power. But the power of collective prayer, you see it over and over and over again. God's people praying together, even right here in the same context. After Acts chapter 2 happens very quickly, there's issues and trouble for those preaching Christ. And the Jews of the area who are certainly against what's happening begin to cause problems for the apostles. How do they combat that? They combat that with prayer. Look at Acts chapter 3. It's an interesting phrase in the way that this passage begins in Acts chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. Now Peter and John, I love the visual of this, went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer. He wants you to understand that they went to the temple to pray and they did so together. One page over in Acts chapter 4, after Peter and John, they had been arrested. They had been told not not to preach Christ anymore. And they're they're working on on what to do about that and and how to to deal with that. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 23, after being let go, that's after being let go when they were arrested, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said. And so when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and all that is in them. They go on to ask here for boldness to continue to preach and to teach Christ. It is a group of people, companions, having all things in common, Raising their voice to God together. What a powerful thing that is. When we are here together and we raise our voice as one in prayer, as we've done multiple times today, we've been led in prayer multiple times, both this morning and already tonight. And the power that's there. The collective voice that we raise in praise as we sing songs of praise together. It is a powerful thing that we simply cannot take for granted. And so we think about a passage like this. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Uh, for us, the preachery thing would be this. I'm not going to do the preachery thing, but the preachery thing would be something like this. Take a look at these four things. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, prayers. Take a look at those four things. The preachery thing would be for me to stand up here and say, choose one of those things that you can be working on in the next year to help this church collectively. Choose one of those things. That's the preachery thing. But we can't do that in a passage like this. 
And we can't do that in a passage like this because guess what? The word or isn't found in this passage. We don't get to choose which of these that I'm going to work on to move forward. Well, we don't get to choose. I think I'm really going to focus on this year on a prayers. Or I think I'm really going to focus this year on fellowship. That's really where I'm going to be. There's no or found in this passage. But you know what I do see? Ands. And so if we, we say, listen, as a church, this year we're going to really focus in on fellowship. Now, we need to do that, but not at the expense of the apostles' teaching or the expense of breaking of bread or expense of prayer. We can't do that because we need all of those things. And so tonight I want us to really put into our mind that, listen, there is no or found, only and. And these are things that we must be devoted to, steadfast in. And for us as a church to collectively vow, these are the areas that we will make absolutes moving forward. No compromises here. Because as a part of the Lord's body, for me, And for you, we should desire to thrive here. And we have given to us the exact recipe for that. And so let's think about these things as we move into the next year, here in the next couple of weeks. Let's focus on these kinds of things to make sure we're not leaving behind the teaching found in God's Word, that we are focusing on unity on fellowship, on worship, collectively, as we have all things in common, being partners, being personal in our relationships. If we can do that, we'll have a group here that thrives. And it'll only be that because God is with us. So it's important for us to think about those kinds of things. Our perspective, as we talked about this morning, our focus moving forward as we've talked about tonight. And so as we close out this year and we look to move forward, you may be there thinking, first and foremost, does Jeremy, is he confused about what the date actually is? I'm not confused about what the date actually is. I understand we're early on in the month of December. But it's good for us to begin to think about some of these kinds of things, to begin to make sure our perspective about God and who he is is right. Our understanding that we need him for everything. We can't do anything without him. That as a church, we are focused as one. Focused on each other, focused on God, focused on his word. All of those things are absolutes. I appreciate you being here tonight. I appreciate the day that we've had, the day that we've been able to worship God together, the day that we've been able to study his word, to pray together, to sing together, to think about his sacrifice and to partake of the Lord's Supper together. It has been an extraordinary day. And I'm excited I was able to share it with you. And as Matt leads us in a song of invitation, it gives us another opportunity like we had this morning to be thinking about our relationship with God, and it is the greatest of opportunities.
because it is the opportunity that we have. There's not a promise of another one, so let's not take this one for granted. Let's all of us be thinking about our relationship with God as we sing this song, and maybe there's a change that needs to take place. Maybe we can help with that change in some way. If that's the case, you let us know as we stand and sing.